So this summer, we are going through a sermon series on different parts of the catechism, going back to the foundational basics of what it is that we believe as Lutheran Christians. And we're walking through the Ten Commandments. Last week, we started with that first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images, anything in the likeness of this world, because there are really only two things that you can worship. You can either worship the Creator, or you can worship something in creation. It's one or the other. There's the Creator and the creation. And oftentimes, you and I decide to worship the things of this world. Maybe we don't pray to them, maybe we don't worship them in song, but we worship them with our lives. We spend our time and our energy and our effort and our resources and, and our concerns on the things of this world as if we can find the comfort and the peace and the joy in the things that are around us, the things of creation where God reminds us that he wants first place in every space in our life, which is why Luther reminds us whenever we break commandments two through 10, we always break commandment number one. And we put something, whether it's something of this world or something of ourself before God. And last weekend we talked about how the law, when we understand the law and the 10 commandments, the law functions in two ways for Christians. The first way it functions is the SOS of the law, which it shows our sin. And for those who have been in confirmation class, you know that there's an SOS of the gospel, which is it shows our, I know some of you are loud, it can be louder than that, it shows our Savior, right? So shows our sin is the law, shows our Savior is the gospel. So it shows our sin, it points us to the fact that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And then it guides our life, and it does both of those things at the same time. So someone may hear the fourth commandment, or the sixth commandment, or the eighth commandment, and it may condemn them. And somebody else may hear it, and it guides them on how God wants them to live, but it will always function in both ways, or should function in both ways in our life, because we all fall short of every commandment. In fact, that's why we would understand that the law also functions in this way. The law will point us to how far we have fallen short of the glory of God so that we, like Paul, will say, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And it drives us to the despair that comes from the brokenness of knowing how far we fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But some people may hear the law and it drives them to self-righteousness. Like last weekend in our gospel reading where the rich young man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and says, well, have you, do you know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, honor your father and mother, do not covet. And the young man goes, well, I've done all of that. I've been good. And he looked at him with love and compassion and says, well, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Or it drives us to the self-righteousness of the Pharisee who praying in God's house goes, God, I am so thankful I am not as sinful as that tax collector. I am not as bad as that person. God, have you read the news? Did you see what that group of people did in New York or California or in Milwaukee? And man, Look at me. I'm here in Menominee Falls and I am so much better than they are. But when we come to understand the true nature of the law, none of us can be self-righteous because we all realize how far we have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we need to hear God's law. 
We need his law because what the law does is the law points us to our sin. And in understanding our sin, it is then that we know that we need a savior because if we don't know our sin, then the question would be, what do I need to be saved from? Why do I need a savior if I don't know sin? And so we need to hear the law of God. Today we're going to talk about the second and third commandment and the, the, the relationship between them, the, the connection that holds those together. But especially as we focus today on that third commandment, the remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, I was thinking about how we recharge and things that need to get recharged in our life. And there are many times where I will come to worship and I will come up front and I will lead and all of a sudden, maybe you've heard it, my microphone starts cutting out or it stops altogether. And usually that's because I did not listen to Bill Cahill that day. Because Bill will oftentimes remind me or say to me, uh, where is your battery pack? Does, do you need a new battery? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. It'll, it'll last. Instead of actually turning it on and looking because it has this nice little screen that says 100%, 75%. That's because I pulled on it. That has nothing to do with the battery. It's at 100%, I promise you. Or it'll say 25%. You should have listened to Bill Cahill and changed this a long time ago. It doesn't really say that, but Bill does. So, or I'll have somebody in the back of the AV booth who will look at me and they will hold up a battery and they will say, do you need one of these? Yeah, right back there, he's pointing at it. Yeah, yeah, they will look at me and go, do you want one of these? Do you need to be recharged? And I wonder how many of us come here and we need to be recharged. Because there are times in our life where we feel our battery feels like that. Like, you know, I am recharged, I'm refreshed, I'm ready to go. And then we wake up in the morning and our children forget to put their shoes on and they can't find their backpack and they forgot to do their homework. So mom and dad, I need help with problem number 12 out of 16 in math because I didn't understand it. And because I didn't understand it, I didn't just skip number 12 and finish it. I didn't finish. And then they need help with that and they need breakfast and then you gotta get them in the car and somebody else went back inside because they forgot their jacket. And by the time you get them to school, you feel like that. And then you go to work and you see your to-do list and all of the demands on you. And you open up your email box, which you had fully emptied on Friday before you left, only to find 40 brand new emails that you now have to answer on Monday morning and you feel like that. And then you get through the day and you work hard and you accomplish tasks, but by the time you get home, you feel like that. And then the kids need to be fed and there's laundry to be done and dishes to be cleaned and the grass has to be cut and kids have to get to sporting activities. And by the time you get home that night, you feel like that. And you're like, I'm exhausted, tired. I need my battery to be changed. So which one do you look like? What do you feel like today? And not just physically, and not just emotionally, but spiritually. Which one of these does your soul look like? Where are you at? This is why the Sabbath day is so important. But before we get to the Sabbath day, we're going to look at commandment number two. Commandment number two comes in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And God says this to Moses. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
So God says something very specific about his name, that his name is to be held holy. In fact, that's what we confess in the catechism when we say those same words, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then we ask that really important Lutheran question, what does this mean? In fact, the word, what does this, or the phrase, what does this mean, comes from the German, was ist das? Anyone know where that comes from? Do you know how Luther came up with that question? I love this. So the way Luther came up with that question was he was writing the small catechism at home at his desk as his little children were running around in his home. And he grew up in Germany, so they were speaking German. So as they're running around in their home, these little children were bothering their dad. I know no dads know what that's like, but, but little children were bothering dad, running around the house, going to Luther. Was ist das? Was ist das? Was ist das? What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? And so Luther writes the small catechism in a simple way that dads can teach their children the commandments by saying, here's the commandment, and here's our ch children's favorite question, was ist das? What is this? What does this mean? And that's how Luther came up with this. So Luther writes this, and he writes this for dads to teach their children, but it also for all of us to understand this. And since I know this is nostalgic for a lot of you who went through confirmation class, for old time's sake, we're gonna read the meaning to the second commandment together. Let's read this. You should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. What he's saying here is don't use God's name in a way in which it wasn't intended and don't misrepresent who God is. It's a little bit along these lines. Have you ever gotten an email in fact, this happened the other day in our office. Somebody got an email from me asking if uh, they would send me gift cards because I was out of town and I had run out of gas and didn't have money for my hotel room and I needed to be able to rent a car and get back home. And since I had no money or gas or, or money for the hotel room, would you please send me gift cards to this specific mailing address? So I got a text message while I was here at church, asking me to, or asking me, did you ask to have me send you gift cards? Which I said, no, and then I got another one, and another one, and another one. Somebody had looked up our website, because it didn't come from my email address, and must have found the emails of everybody, and had sent them gimmicky, or spoof, or spam uh, emails, misrepresenting me. That's what he's saying. Don't misrepresent God. Don't use his name in a way it was not intended. Make it holy. This is why actually in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say the name Yahweh. They were afraid of using God's name in a way in which it was not intended to be used. So use his name in holiness. That holiness now factors into our third commandment. Our third commandment says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, vasistas, what does this mean? Would you read this with me as well? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching or his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, he starts off by saying this. In fact, we see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is one of two commandments that doesn't start, thou shalt not. Uh, next week, we'll look at the other one, how appropriate on Father's Day. We're going to look at the commandment, honor your father and mother. So dads, you will want to make sure to bring your children next weekend. We'll talk about that. In fact, anybody who has a dad, all of us, should be here next weekend as we talk about that. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? But this is the other commandment that doesn't start with thou shalt not. It starts with remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does that mean to remember the Sabbath day? Well, what it doesn't mean is this, is that you wake up on a Sunday morning and as you're laying there in bed, in your comfortable bed, on your comfortable pillow, under your comfortable blankets, you go, I remember there's church today. And you go back to sleep. That's not what it means. It's more along these lines. My son, I made a deal with him. He's playing baseball now, and, and I have this deal with him that if you hit the ball into the outfield, past an outfielder, and you hit a double off that ball that goes into the outfield, I will take you to Speedway for a slushie. Nothing like bribing children in sports, right? So, so I bribe him to, to hit that ball hard, and if he gets a double, he gets Speedway. So uh, on Saturday, he was playing in a baseball game, and he hit a double into the outfield, and so I think it was in the third inning or second inning, and he comes running off the bench in the middle of the game, running up to Dad and goes, Dad, do you remember you said you would get me speedway if I hit a double? Did you see what I just did? To which I said, get back on the bench. Now, did he really just want me to go, yeah, I remember that. That was a really good promise. Is that, is that what he wanted? No, right? What did he want? He wanted me to remember it and then be faithful to my promise and do it. In the Old Testament, whenever God's people say to God, God, remember your promises. It's not God, God, bring them to mind, but God, remember your promises and then be faithful to do them. So when God uses this, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy, to keep it holy, he's saying, remember, but then be faithful in doing it. And so the main thrust of this says, remember and do this by keeping it Holy. Now notice it doesn't say remember the Sabbath day by having a good rest day. The main thrust of this commandment is not about rest, but it's about holiness. Now the rest is a part of it, we'll see, but it's about keeping something holy that God created be holy. And then how do you keep it holy? Well, he goes back to the order of creation, doesn't he? And he says, just as God created everything in six days and on the seventh day, he rested, so also you should find rest. In fact, what this does is this day of rest reconnects us to the God who also rested. Because God created everything in six days, and then he was so exhausted, so tired, he had worked so hard that he decided, you know what, I, I just need a nap for a day. No, that's not what God did, did he? Did God need rest? Does God get exhausted? Does he get tired? No. So why did God rest on the seventh day? He did it because you need it. He did it to give a pattern for you to follow. It was God's gift to you who he knows gets weary and tired. He knew that people would constantly have a, have a pension to go back to work over and over and over again. So God says you need rest. In fact, we see this in Amos chapter 8, verses 4 to 8. We're talking about the Sabbath day. There were some who would say, how long till the Sabbath is over? Because I need to get back to buying and selling. 
Because that's our, our inclination is to go back to that. In fact, I would even say this. If you have so much work that you have to work seven days a week, you are working too much and you have too much. You do. In fact, you might think too highly of yourself that you believe that if, you, if, if without you working seven days, God can't make this world go round. Well, God can. God does not need us working seven days to make everything happen in our life that happens in our life. God is in control. And so God calls us to rest. In fact, maybe this is a reality check that we all need. That someday when you die, do you know that you will probably have emails that you never got a chance to answer? Voicemails that you never got a chance to return? And a to-do list that you did not finish? And that's okay because someone else will take care of it. Because it's not about us. In fact, that's what Adam and Eve did. Do you know Adam and Eve, uh, at the beginning of creation, that they did have jobs. They were called to take care of creation and name the animals. And Adam and Eve were created on day six. And what did they do on the very first day of their life? They rested. They didn't work six days and then rest. They rested and then went to work to do the things that God had called them to do. Yet we are so often wired the opposite way. We are the Martha instead of being the Mary. Now there is the opposite side of this. God's word reminds us there is the opposite side of this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says this, if anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. For we hear that some of you are walking around in idleness. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So God does call us to work, but there is a time and a day where God says, don't make this day a common day. It should be an uncommon day. And I didn't create you to honor the Sabbath day, but I created the Sabbath day to be a blessing to you. That's Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. In fact, what this commandment points us to is what Sabbath is all about. Now, that word Sabbath doesn't necessarily just mean rest. The Hebrew word Shabbat actually can mean to cease or to stop. To cease doing one thing to take up another thing. And on the Sabbath day, God calls us to cease doing one thing from all of our work and all of our running around to receive and to be recharged to receive and to be recharged in worship as we receive God's gift. And then it means to keep it holy, to not make common something that God has made uncommon. And I wonder how many of us make a, a Sabbath day just another day, another day filled with to-do lists and running around and work that needs to be done and things that need to be accomplished instead of realizing that this world does not need us working seven days a week for God to take care of this world but to make uncommon what God has made uncommon. In fact, the way that we despise preaching in the Word is to devalue what God has created as something special with great value. God wants for you in this commandment for you to be spiritually healthy, not just physically, not just emotionally. That's not what this Sabbath day is about. The Sabbath day is to give you spiritual health and refreshment for your soul. See, worship is more than just a pick-me-up or a tune-up because if worship is just this pick-me-up or tune-up that, that you need to kind of just get you a little bit more through your week, then really the only time we need worship is when we feel a little bit down or a little bit empty. But God says it's not about when you feel you need worship, it's about me saying that you always need this because in worship, it is not about what you give, but what you receive. 
And many times when we talk about this, I will always hear one of three objections. So the first objection is this. Well, pastor, I understand that, but can't I worship just as well on the lake? Can't I worship just as well when I'm out fishing? You know what's funny is I have never heard somebody come up to me and go, pastor, can't I worship just as well when I'm in my office? Nobody says that. But that's exactly the same question. Because we should be worshiping wherever we go. We should worship when we're on the lake. We should be worshiping when we're fishing. We should be worshiping when we're doing laundry or parenting our children or in the office or cleaning our yards. That's all acts of worship. But God says there is a special act of worship when we come together in God's house. Then I'll hear this. Well, do I really need worship? I mean, I've been coming to worship for 20 years. Haven't I grown past that? Do we ever grow past the need to receive the gifts of God? No. We need those gifts every single week. And the third question I'll often get is this, well, pastor, how often do I need to come? Which is really the question that goes along these lines. It's when our children come up to us and go, mom, dad, how clean does my room really have to be before I can go outside? What's that question? It's like, what's the least amount of work I can do before I get enough credit so I can go outside? What's the least amount of Sundays I can worship when I get credit with God? It's not about getting credit with God. The Sabbath day isn't supposed to be just an obligation, but it's an opportunity. An opportunity to receive the gifts of God. An opportunity to gather in his house where he feeds you with his gifts of his body and blood and reminds you that he has claimed you in the waters of baptism and gives you his word and the comfort and peace of being surrounded with God's people. There are things that happen here in God's house that cannot happen anywhere else. You see, the mountains cannot do for you what God can do. Looking on on the lake or fishing or visiting Mickey Mouse or whatever that is cannot do for you what only God can do for you. And that is to give you his gifts, to fill you with his word, to give you rest and peace and comfort for your soul. You see, it's not that you and I have to come to worship. It's you and I, we need to come to worship. We need to be here so that we can receive all that God has given to us. And on this Sabbath day, this uncommon day, in holy things among holy people, we can receive what God has in store for us as we cease from all the running around and we rest as we receive and are recharged in our souls for what God wants us to be as his children. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us rest for our souls. And Lord, there are many times where we have a very high opinion of ourselves so that we feel that we need to continually run around and work and put in seven days as if it's all dependent upon us. And yet you call us to this Sabbath day, this day of rest, reminding us that we can rest because this is your world and you have everything in your hands. So Lord, help us to cease, to stop, to rest, so that me might receive and recharge on a weekly basis everything that you would give to us in your word and your gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.